The year was 1995, and I was newly married. It was in June that year, and my, uh, my aunt and uncle had purchased for Jen and I our entire honeymoon trip to Waikiki in Honolulu. It's going to be an amazing time. The only problem was we got off to a little bit of a rough start. Uh, we missed our initial flight from Minneapolis to Portland, so we had to scramble to see if we could get another flight to Portland in time to get our connection flight to Hawaii, which ended up working out. And so we finally get into Hawaii. We're tired. We're exhausted. It's super early in the morning. We, we get there in time to actually catch the sunrise, and then we went back and, and we grabbed a quick bite to eat and went to sleep. Unfortunately, uh, being the cheap college students that we were, we decided to eat at, uh, I don't know if it's okay to say this, I'm just going to say it, Denny's, and uh, that came back to bite us in some pretty serious ways, especially my wife, who got insanely sick for the next uh, several hours. With all that, though, behind us, we were able to kind of forge forward on what was an incredible honeymoon, Um, but about midway through the week, I had been watching all of these guys out surfing. And I, and I knew I wouldn't be able to surf because I don't have a great balance or any kind of athletic prowess at all. Um, so I knew that surfing probably wasn't a good idea, but I also saw these other people doing like the boogie board thing. And I thought, man, I could probably handle that. I don't have to figure out how to stand up and just lay on it and it's gonna, it's gonna work for me. So I decided to rent a boogie board. I couldn't talk my wife into doing it because she's smarter than I am. And so I get the boogie board and I go out on this water. Now, what you need to know, normally Waikiki Beach is pretty calm. In fact, most of the time, surfers aren't on Waikiki Beach. They are normally on the North Shore because Waikiki Beach doesn't really get big waves. But this particular week that we were there, there was a pretty massive storm about an hour off of the, of the coast that was causing Waikiki Beach to have these unusually large waves and it was bringing in all these surfers. So I knew that I needed to be far enough away from them that they, I wouldn't get yelled at or called whatever weird names they have for pe- white people like me who can't surf or swim. It, they, what is it? What is that word? There's a word, right? What is it? Howling. Howling. Yeah. That's not, oh, that's not wrong to say, is it? I don't even know. Let's not say that. Erase this part, please. Okay. Anyway, I didn't want to get called. I didn't want to get yelled at. I didn't want anything thrown at me. So I just tried to stay as far away as I could. But these waves were pretty intense. So I'm trying hard to boogie board or whatever you call it, wave thing, whatever. And it's just not working. I'm watching people ride these waves really, really far, like all the way into the shore. And I can't, I can't go more than like two inches on them. And I was getting super, super frustrated and so I kind of stopped for a little bit, and I'm sitting there just kind of floating on the board. I'm thinking, man, this just isn't for me. It's okay. I'm in Hawaii. I'm in paradise. I'm having fun either way. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, I think probably I should go in. And about that time, I thought, well, maybe I'll catch one or two more waves. And I'm telling you, it was like a scene out of a movie. I turned my head to look back. You're never supposed to, I think you're never supposed to turn your, your back to waves. And I had definitely turned my back to the waves. And I turned around just in time for this massive wave to crash down on top of my head. And it drives me down into the water. And I can feel the undertow trying to pull me. But thankfully, I still had a pretty firm grip on the board. And the board kind of pulled me up out of the water. And as I quickly tried to suck down some air, sure enough, just like in the movies, bam, another one hits me. But this time, it separates me from the board. Thankfully, though, I had that, that, that little tie thing around my wrist, right? 
except for that the Velcro on that stupid thing was completely worn out. And so I watched the Velcro come undone and I start to see this board float away and I reach out one last grasp and I just catch the edge of this stupid little uh, rope thing that's a tie, a tied to this um, board. And, and as I'm getting sucked down underneath and the board's starting to go back up, it finally pulls me out of the water. I gasp for air and I start hauling to the, to the shore as fast as I can. And I'm crawling out of the water. I'm spitting up water, choking and I realized in that just how real that moment was and how close I came to losing my life and making my poor little bride a widow in her first week of marriage. <laughs> the struggle there was real. And uh, I, I realized later on that week, I found out that there was uh, at least one other person that had lost their life at Waikiki Beach that week because of the, of the undertow. So, thankful to be alive. I didn't go anywhere near the water except for the beach after that the rest of the time. And my days of boogie boarding or trying to do anything like that are long since over. Now, many of you know that I have coached high school football. I've been part of football for most of the last 37 years of my life. And I've seen plenty of struggles when it comes to that. I played high school, college football. I dealt with weeks and weeks of two-a-day practices and months and months and months of, of, of off-season workouts. I've gone through the pain of season-ending injuries. I've had uh, multiple concussions, clearly, by the way I talk. Um, I've gone through the, the ups and downs as a player. I've gone through the ups and downs as a coach. Lost, lost games, difficult games. There's still one game that just sticks there in my memory and never seems to want to go away. Of my sophomore year of college, we were playing Mount Scenario College. A college doesn't even exist anymore, yet they rent space in my brain. And we, we were beating them at halftime 33 to nothing. And we ended up losing that game in the final seconds, 35 to 33. That pain will never, probably ever fully go away. I've never had the opportunity to coach the final game of the year on, at Camp Randall on the turf. Maybe never will. But through all the different struggles and pain and turmoil of being a high school football coach, I can still tell you I love this game. I love to coach it. I love to be involved in the, the hearts and lives of young people to teach them that some of the most valuable lessons that they can learn, that they can take off the field. And one of those is how to overcome adversity. Because adversity is a regular part of being a football player. It's a regular part of sports. And guess what? As we all know, it's a regular part of life. I've dealt with many, many struggles in my personal life through the years as well. I've dealt with the, the, the difficulties that happened, at least that happened for me early on in my marriage, that we worked through. I've dealt with the struggles of, of, of not knowing how I was going to pay bills at times, not, not being sure if I was going to put food on the table. I've, I've gone through the struggle of having to close a, a, a church plant that I started that was going for seven years and the pain of making that decision to say, it's not making it, we're going to have to stop. I've gone through many, many different pains with, with my children. Two of my, of my four children um, almost didn't make it past their first six weeks on this planet. In fact, we, we miscarried what would have been our fourth of five. 
And I've, I've experienced all kinds of ups and downs and pains in my life. But I'm going to say this. The thing that I'm realizing finally in my life is as is, is much as those things were hurtful and painful, those struggles were real, I realized they were also necessary in order to make me into the man, the coach, the father, the husband that I am today. I also know that many of you that are in the audience today have experienced all kinds of struggle and pain and hurt, some of which is far beyond what I've ever experienced. Maybe it's trauma from your past. Maybe it's difficulty in your marriage. Maybe you've got a, a, a difficult diagnosis. Maybe you've been told at one point or another in your life you have cancer. Maybe it's the loss of someone that you dearly, dearly love. The Bible is clear about this. Jesus said this in John 16, He said, in this world, there will be trouble. There will be pain. And so as we continue in Colossians, Paul was intimately fluent in what it meant to struggle. Paul had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten. He had been imprisoned. He had had many long periods of time where he didn't know how he was going to eat. And it wasn't because he was fasting. It was because he was starving. Because he didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. And he feared for his life over and over and over again. So it's from a deep wealth of experience and knowledge and understanding. And understanding not only in the intensity of struggle and sorrow and pain and hurt and loss, but also that it can be a powerful tool in helping you dig into what it means to follow after Jesus. So it's from that place that Paul writes this, this passage we're going to talk about today in Colossians. Paul, I'm going to go back here just a second. The big idea, though, for today is this, that being in Christ, standing on the hope of the gospel, often requires struggle, suffering, and loss. Paul embraces this loss in multiple ways in the passage we're going to talk about today. First, in, we're going, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians 1.24. We're going to start there, and we're going to dig into just the different aspects of what Paul learned about what, it's, what embracing struggle, what embracing loss and hurt and suffering does for us as we, become, as we journey to become more like Christ. It says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. I know for some of us that idea, how, how do you rejoice and your sufferings. How do I even start there? You lost me immediately, Brian. I don't know how to rejoice in sufferings. And I think that this is something that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. So if you're in the middle of pain right now, I'm not suggesting to you that you ignore your feelings and just suddenly start feeling great about it. That's not the suggestion. That's not even what Paul's trying to say. Let's go on. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the, world, the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. See, Paul embraced suffering as part of the job description. He embraced suffering as part of what it meant to be an, amb an ambassador of the gospel. It was part 
of what it meant to be a follower, even more so then than maybe it is now. See, I think some of the problem for us is because of, of kind of the way that a lot of churches, a lot of uh, people present the gospel is that it comes across as this idea that once you have the gospel, now you've got everything worked out and figured out. Your life should now be perfect. But it doesn't always end up being perfect, does it? It might start out really, really well, and it might feel like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I am starting to see some freedom from some things. But then along the line, the world smacks us along uh, upside the head again. Maybe past trauma comes back out. Or, or we're faced with some new and horrible thing, like a, like a cancer diagnosis or a loss of a loved one. And all of a sudden, our faith is in crisis, and we don't, we don't know what to do with it. Paul understood, though, that part of this struggle was, was he was willing to go through because it, he knew it helped others that would go through similar struggles. The thing I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that my own personal struggles, the things I've talked about, like the addictions that God has helped me overcome, have led me to be in a place where I, at the very least, have more compassion for others who are going through similar things. But it's also opened up countless doors for me to be able to share about my pains and my trials and my addictions and what God did to help me overcome them. He has used my pain to help others. And so Paul d- deeply understood that it was, it was part of the job. That Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, take up your cross and follow me. This is going to be a difficult process. But you're going to go through those difficult times and they have a purpose. God doesn't waste pain. Paul also embraced struggle as a necessary step to his own spiritual growth and service. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. This is why he struggles. This is why he's willing to struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I'm okay with this. Fundamentally, I am finally at a spot in my own journey, and this is what Paul's trying to say as well, that I'm okay with struggle because I now recognize its power in maturing me in Christ. And there may be no more important thing to realize the purpose of struggle in that what it does to force us to our knees. To force us to stop doing for Jesus in learning to be with Jesus. Oftentimes, the biggest mistake we make on this journey with Christ is that we... we, we early on, we accept Christ and we start watching people around us and what we often see is a lot of doing, 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 doing. But we don't often see the part where we're being. And what Paul's struggles did was it drove him to his knees. It drove him to being, to struggling with all of his energy that he would see Christ in him. Not him trying to work out of some power of his own. 
but that he would work through these things out of power that comes from a deep and intimate relationship with Christ. As I think back over the struggles I've faced in my life, whether it was the closing of a church plant or difficult football seasons or difficult seasons in marriage or sitting at my daughter's bedside at six weeks old and she's in the NICU and at the edge of the bed was a sign that, ex- that I read on Christmas Eve of that year that I read probably a hundred times that day that explained the procedures of what would happen if Autumn stopped breathing for the nurse. And I just kept reading it over and over and over and over again. Feeling that pain trying to pull me under the water. Feeling that pain wanting to make me do nothing but curl up into a ball, not knowing what I could do. In fact, in that moment, there was nothing I could do except cling to Jesus. I spent countless hours in their little chapel just begging God for my daughter's life. Now, I don't believe God caused that. But I also don't believe God wasted that. Because what that did was dig deeply into my soul my need for Jesus. How utterly hopeless I am without him. How deeply I need an intimacy with him that is able to work through those struggles. And I became painfully aware that my faith at that point in, that, in my journey was painfully shallow. And that I didn't really know my savior as well as I should. I'd like to believe that it would be easier to weather that storm today. Lord, I do not want to repeat it. But I, I, I do believe that I could weather it much easier now because my relationship with him is stronger. My belief in his power is bigger than it was then because I spend more time now trying to be than do. I spent most of my first 15 years of ministry just trying to be trying to be a better pastor, trying to be a pastor of a bigger church and have a bigger ministry and have more of this and more of that instead of what God had called me to. I still remember standing up on a hillside in Granddad's Bluff in the cross before I planted the church and very clearly hearing from the Lord say to me, I'm gonna give you this land, but don't forget to be. All I heard was, I'm gonna give you this land. And I charged forward to take it. And that entire seven years of church planning, I forgot all about what it meant to be, what it meant to just chase after Jesus. And in the brokenness of closing it, in the brokenness of of having to go work a secular job I didn't want to work, 
I began to understand how far I had traveled away from Jesus. Paul understood that this struggles that we go through serves a purpose and help, if we'll let it, in becoming more like Jesus. In the class Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, we talk about this process. It, it talks about this idea of journeying through the wall. Uh, the ancients called this wall the dark night of the soul. And I think every one of us in this room at varying levels can say, I face the dark night of the soul. Or some of you that are here today have saying, I am currently in this dark night of the soul. And, and it talks about these stages. You know, early on, we come to Christ. We have this life-changing awareness of God. We give our lives to him. We begin to be discipled and we begin to learn. And then eventually we start to, to act on that life. We begin serving. But then somewhere along the line, we come across something big, some struggle, some dark night of the soul that puts our very faith in jeopardy. And he says, uh, Pete Scarzero says, it's only through going through that wall, journeying through that wall, that we begin to look and journey inward to this relationship of being with Christ. And as we journey inward to being with Christ, it will move us towards journeying outward, but it comes out of the inward life. It's not that we can't do as Christians, but it has to flow from our being. And that's oftentimes the only way we learn that is through going through the wall, journeying through a difficult time or struggle in our life. You know, in, in, in high school ports, sport, ports, <laughs> in high school sports, we, we often set up practices to include diversity, or not diversity, but um, adversity. We want there to be these moments in practice that'll simulate a game where they're going to come across a difficult situation. Maybe it's a, a penalty that, that moves the offense back, and now instead of being second and six, it's, it's second and 15. And they got to figure out what they're going to do about that. Or, or we'll, we'll put our defense with their backs against the wall on the five-yard line and say, you got to keep these guys out. And we'll do that on purpose to teach them adversity that they're going to experience in the game. Why? Because most people, when they first experience adversity, they tend to shrink from it. They tend to, to, to not know what to do with it and, and get afraid of it. And, and they, play, they play scared. But we don't want the kids to do that. We want them to rise up in those moments, to face adversity and do, do uh, something that other people can't do. It's one of the reasons I, I love teaching sports. It's because it begins to teach what it looks like to overcome adversity. The same thing is true in our, in our daily walk with the Lord, that these struggles that we go through, whether they're big or small, there is an opportunity to learn from them and to learn to rise up from adversity. But something weird happens. Um, I kind of want to find this in my notes. I wasn't going to, I was going to bring up the notes because I didn't want to forget this. But um, th there's this, this reality, uh, St. John of the Cross said this, uh, that one of the most common idolatries of the spiritual life is to fall in love with pain and get stuck in it. Did you hear that? One of the most common idolatries is to hit this wall and fall in love with it. And you think, wait, who does that? Most of us at some point or another. We start to like to wallow in our pain. We get uncomfortably comfortable with it. 
And we don't know how to make our way through it then. We, we get used to every time something bad comes to shriveling up into a ball of who we are and, and, and running away from it rather than learning to journey through it. One of the things I love about our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class is it helps teach us what it looks like to journey through these walls and to get on the other side to a deeper, more personal relationship with Jesus. Paul also embraced struggle as a means of deepening other people's discipleship as they know and become like Christ. Colossians 2, 1 through 3 says, For I want you to know I want you to know, I want you to experience how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. That's a whole mouthful of words, but he wants you and I to understand what it looks like to have this deep, rich, intimate relationship with God that changes our lives and help us to overcome those difficult situations, which in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. It's, it's that being in Christ. It's that being with Christ that leads us to all these hidden treasures and wisdom and knowledge. And I would say that struggle has led me to a place of being, which has led me to begin to understand more and more of these treasures. To be more and more appreciative of all the little things in my life, all the ways that God shows up, all the intimate moments that God orchestrates for me. And Paul wants us to understand that those struggles often help us see the reality of how God is working in our lives. And that he doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. That he walks with us even through the darkest of nights. Even through the darkest journeys. He's there. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're struggling with but I know that everybody struggles at one point or another. So whether it's happening right now in your life or somewhere down the, the road, the greatest thing I can tell you to do is pick yourself up off the floor and run to Jesus. Run to him. And listen, running to him oftentimes looks like the book of Psalms. This is my, this is my favorite part of the book of Psalms. Half the time David is like, yo, what the heck? I wish it was called, yo, what the heck? Half the time, he's, he's saying, God, I don't understand. Why do, the, why do the, the, the evil prosper? Why do the wicked seem to give everything they want, and yet I'm suffering? It's okay to pick yourselves out of the fetal position and to just start to ask the initial question, God, why? Even Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ooh. It's a legitimate question. It's a question, though, that will lead us towards intimacy. To begin to ask those questions is not a sin, folks. To begin to ask God, why? Why am I going through this suffer? Why am I going through this pain in my life? Why does this hurt have to happen to me right now? Why did I have to lose this person right now? Why did I have to lose my job? Why is my marriage where it's at right now? Those are legitimate, okay questions to ask. 
but you better stop and listen. That's half the battle, right? We ask all of our questions of God, but we don't stop to listen. We don't stop to be. We don't stop to understand that the God of this universe who put everything into motion just wants to hold you and go, I, I hate that you're going through this. I hate that this hurt is landed on you right now, but I'm with you. I'm here in the midst of it. I haven't left you. Now, I'm not saying you're gonna get all your answers. Man, I got plenty left, plenty of questions. Why did this happen? Why did that? But what I'm learning is that God, he has a plan. He hasn't let me down, ultimately, that while the struggles I've gone through are hard to understand and explain, in the end, he has never left my side. He's walked me through those painful, dark nights of the soul, and I have grown closer to him through it. Now, let me bring this back to sports because that's what I do. Those crazy losses, that 35-33 that loss to Mount Scenario College, glad it shut down. No, I'm just kidding. I, mean it. I do mean it. I don't mean it. I do mean it. What's interesting about it, though, is to this day, the guys that, and I that were on that team, we still talk about it because it drew us closer together. Isn't that crazy? If we had beat those guys 33 to nothing, which is what we should have done, I don't think we remember that game. But because of the pain, that, the shared pain that we went through, it has driven us closer together. And I will tell you that I think the reality is that pain, struggle, turmoil, suffering, loss has an interesting way of, of helping us grow closer with God and closer with each other. Now, we don't have to like that formula, but it is a reality. A reality that Paul embraced and understood and, and didn't fear. In fact, I want to ask you this question. If being in Christ and standing on the hope of the gospel requires suffering, struggle, and even loss... Are you willing to follow? This was Paul's answer to that question in Philippians 3. He said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage this is a slang word that he uses here, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He understood that all of the easy stuff was rubbish, garbage. But the struggle the very real struggles in his life were the very things that drove him to having a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus, a righteousness that comes from God, not from himself. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me, is that I stop fearing it 
but start chasing after Christ. He finishes this saying, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining those. That is crazy talk. And we pass over this verse so easily, but it is absolutely what Paul believed in his heart that all the other stuff was rubbish compared to participation in his sufferings, becoming like him. So back to that question. Are we willing to embrace suffering, pain, and loss if we know that at the end of it, it leads us to becoming more like Jesus? If it leads us to having a deeper relationship with him and quite possibly a deeper relationship with one another. Because it's in those moments of pain where God begins to surround us with the real people in our life, not the fake ones. The ones that are gonna reach in. And if you don't have that kind of relationship here at Jacob's Well, I wanna encourage you to chase after it. To find a, a class or a small group or, or your tribe within this congregation to help you know that when you go through the dip, most difficult times, they're gonna be there. They're gonna have your back. They're gonna fight the fight with you. They're gonna pray. They're gonna hit their knees. They're gonna struggle and toil through pain. And they're not gonna blow you off and they're not gonna run away from you when things are difficult. A few next steps want to continue to encourage you to consider our core classes. Um, this, this winter, we'll be offering up our Emotionally Healthy Relationship class. I highly recommend that. We'll also be offering a class this winter called Trauma Reboot. And if you've been through a very deep trauma, we want to help you learn to get up and begin to move forward in your relationship with Christ. We understand trauma can, can just take us out, but we want to help get you back on the right path with that. Another great opportunity is just to serve, to begin to use your gifts and serve within the church. It's a great opportunity to move, uh, to take the suffering and pain and things that you've gone through your life and help others with it. When, when our serving comes out of our being, it's a much healthier place to be. And then I want to encourage you to continue with the devos that go along with this Colossians series. They're available out in the, the uh, information center. So please take a look at those. Uh, and also every week we do a podcast called The School of Unlearning. It's kind of a follow-up where we dig into the different topics that we've been talking about each week at, at more length. So I want to encourage you to check that out as well. As, as the, the worship band comes back out, uh, I want to I do this. Um, I want to just take a second to pray. And I want to pray specifically for those of you that are currently in that season, that dark night of the soul. And so would you do this with me? Would, would you please, would just everybody please stand for a second? And, and I want you to know this. If you're here today and you're going through that dark night of the soul, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I just, I just, I just know that around each of you, there's probably several people that are struggling in something big, something earth-shaking. And so I wanna, I wanna just take a moment and I wanna pray specifically for those people. Will you all just join me? Would you just raise your hands out like this? And, and no, there's nothing magic about that, but just 
Let's put our hands out. Let's, let's ask the Lord that in these moments, he would just reach into the depths of the pain and the hurt and the sorrow that's in this room right now, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, that, that through your body, that, that those that are here this morning that are, that are experiencing deep trauma or deep hurt or deep pain or maybe even loss, that right now, first and foremost, Lord, that they would sense your presence and your power in their life, that you haven't left them, you haven't forsaken them, that you're right there hurting with them. And then, Lord, I pray for those that are in this audience tonight that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are other people that have been through similar things, that want to love on them, that want to care for them, that want to intimately connect with them and show them uh, that, that Jesus hasn't left them, just like they're not going to leave them. And I pray, Lord, that they would take the very difficult step of, of finding their tribe, finding a group of people that will share this life with them, that will, will help point them towards their Savior, that will cry with them, that will hurt with them, and that will go through this pain with them and not leave them the way that you never leave us, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.